0: So, looking at the end of Genesis 30 this evening, where there's this interesting story about Jacob's technique of achieving the uh, kind of breeding that he that he wants to, that he intends to. Well, we'll talk, we'll get into the details in due time, but let's begin by observing in bringing let's. me. Let's begin by observing God's providence and bringing the text before us tonight to our attention this particular night. Our Prime Minister Mia Motley's budget speech this past week is sure to have many of us thinking about money, finances, and Jacob's concern about his financial situation is actually a really major theme in this passage, and so... We should just note, this has happened I think once or twice before even already in the short lifespan of this church, just how timely even a, even a systematic exposition of whole books of the Bible can be uh, in God's providence. There's no possible way when we began in September 2017 that we'd be exactly here tonight. Um, so I think it's just worth noting, that's sort of into, incidental to the sermon, but it is just worth noticing God's kindness and His providence to us in bringing something to our attention, which is thematically related to what's going on in our lives at the moment. So now to the subject at hand. Ms. Motley's speech was not all bad news for the individual. Uh, For example, there is a coming reduction in personal income tax rates. However, there definitely were some measures announced which are intended to help the country as a whole, and yet will nevertheless impact the individual adversely. In the short term at least. For example, everybody's talking about the bus fare increase from $2 to $3.50. Perhaps as you consider these things, you're feeling as Jacob did in verse 30 of this passage. When shall I provide for my own household also? You feel like you're working hard and your employer's profiting. You feel like you're working hard and... Your country is profiting Hopefully that will be the case over the next Number of years That indeed there will be an economic turnaround But you may be asking yourself When will I be able to do something For my own household Tonight we're going to talk about The Christian way to navigate That sort of situation Is it wrong to want to do something for your own household Is it Right? Can I expect any help from God? These are the sorts of questions that are in view. So let's begin with Jacob's work ethic. You'll remember that he's been laboring for his uncle Laban for 14 years. He agreed to work 7 years for the hand of Laban's younger daughter Rachel, but was tricked At the end of those seven years and given Leah instead, we covered that a number of weeks ago, and then in return for Rachel's hand, finally, he agrees to work another seven years. So basically, Jacob's been laboring for his uncle for 14 years, basically for pretty much what amounts to room and board, right? And then obviously the marriage of his two daughters. But we should note that at this point, Jacob's not wealthy by any means. In fact, quite the opposite. He's literally just subsisting. He's just living, taking care of the flocks. He has enough food for his family, but that's about it. And this is why he wants to do something for his own household. How has Jacob been working all this time? We read in Genesis 31, 36-41, Jacob's reprisal of Laban uh, in an interchange that we'll focus on more next week, Lord willing. Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you've hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us too. Listen, these twenty years I have been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you, I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was, by day the heat consumed me and the cold by night, and sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I have served you 14 years for your two daughters and 6 years for your flock, and you've changed my wages 10 times. Jacob bore the heat of the day regularly, but was on call 24-7, as he tells it here, which meant that he delivered all the livestock's young. Any problem that came up at night was at him. He was dealing with the predators of the flocks, Everything that had been torn by wild beasts was at him. He was on call 24-7. He bore all the liability, it appears, for the flocks that he was caring for. Which is why he says sleep fled from his eyes. He's out there working by day, but at night, everything's at him when stuff comes up. Do you feel like sometimes like this is the story of your life? In Canada, society is much more 24-7. And I've known a number of people to work two jobs, either one full-time and one part-time, or perhaps even more than one part-time job on the side. Or I've known people to even work a couple of full-time jobs, trying to make ends meet, trying to improve their family situation. I know, even though the society is not 24-7 the same way, I know there are many in Barbados who work long hours, who are even stringing together a couple of different jobs, trying to make things happen, trying to make ends meet. So I know that, whether in Canada or here, our situation is different from Jacob's, but we can in some way relate to that feeling where you're just working hard all the time. It just feels like your life is just work. Even if you have just one full-time job, you know how it feels to work hard day after day, week after week, trying to make ends meet or trying to improve financial situation I'd speak about parents here too because that's definitely a 24 7 kind of thing but unfortunately we don't get paid for parenting and so that aspect is um, that's the aspect that's primarily in view here tonight so it's not really as relevant but I think we can kind of relate to where Jacob's coming from or at least we can we can understand even if it hasn't been directly our experience where he's coming from He's been working real hard trying to get ahead and here he is after 20 years not really ahead and he's wanting to do something for his own household. His employer's been profiting but he himself hasn't been profiting. What we see in terms of God's response to Jacob's work ethic is commendation. We see it Implicitly, in this whole section of the passage, uh, 30 and 31, in both of these chapters, Jacob enjoys the approval of the narrator, who we know as Moses. But Moses is writing under the inspiration of God. So there's not really... Jacob sins, and sins grievously, in the unfolding storyline of Genesis. But this is not one of those situations. His work ethic, in terms of his dealings with Laban is not one of the things that he's reprimanded for or frowned upon because of. Quite the opposite. Jacob enjoys the approval of the narrator here in this section. We don't get the sense that Jacob did anything wrong here. In fact, in just after the section I read to you in chapter 31, in verse 42, Jacob says, If the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side... Surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. So we get the sense actually from this passage that uh, Jacob is commended by God. And then this whole plan at the end of chapter 30, I think seems to be actually God's plan. So, let me explain that. Reading through a different number of different commentaries this week, there are a number of different theories about what's going on with these uh, sticks and peeling the bark back and getting the animals to mate in front of the sticks. And What's going on here? Some people say that basically Jacob just really thought that that was going to work and God just graciously made it work for Jacob's sake. But I think we gotta, we got to say Jacob really would be going out on a limb if he was to set his wages as the speckled and spotted livestock, basically just hoping that if he peels back the bark from some sticks, this is going to work out all right. I think, I think we're given the impression in this passage um, or sorry in Genesis rather in this book that Jacob's more careful than that though, though there was some prevailing superstition apparently in those days that mating in front of these kind of sticks um, would actually produce speckled and spotted young I don't think the data seems to be just so clear and obviously since then it's been disproved scientifically I don't think the data would be so clear that someone would be willing to risk their whole livelihood where Jacob says, don't even pay me anything, just give me your speckled, that spotted young, basically on this venture alone. So I don't really think that's what's going on here, though some commentators do. Other commentators say that Jacob uh, has actually a very advanced understanding of genetics <laughs> and that Basically, he understands that as it says here he put the stronger of the flock in front of the sticks but the feebler of the flock he would not lay in front of the sticks. Okay, so apparently I know, I'm chuckling even to say it but apparently some people's theory is that the stronger of uh, goats and lambs and sheep have a genetic predisposition to being speckled or spotted. And so, basically, Jacob was way ahead of the game. And he knew that chances are they have those genes. And so even if they're solid-colored, then um, if they're strong and lively, then they probably have that particular gene. And so Jacob brings the strong ones in front of the sticks knowing full well that they have the genetics to be speckled or spotted, and then leaves the feebler ones who don't have those genetics away. The question then comes up, well, what with with the sticks then? What with the uh, sticks with the peeled bark and so on and so forth? Well, as the theory goes, Jacob did that as a ruse, so that nobody else would find out just how advanced his knowledge of genetics are, (laughs) and no one would suspect a thing. Okay, I I don't know for sure, all right. But what seems what seems more reasonable to me is actually that, um, for whatever reason, God had instructed him uh, to do this particular thing, and so he enters into this agreement with Laban with divine instruction and divine warrant. What we see in chapter thirty one. Uh, Verse 10, he says, In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. Jacob relates in chapter 31 dreams that he had and visions that he had, which are actually not mentioned in the unfolding narrative of Genesis chapter 30. Also, what we know from other sections of Scripture is that sometimes events are condensed, where maybe they happened over a few days, they're condensed for the sake of the narrative. So this conversation that Jacob has with Laban in the last half of verse 30 didn't necessarily all happen in the same day. So Jacob might have went to him one day and said, listen, I want to go back to my homeland. And Laban said to him, well, why don't you stay? Name your wages and I'll give it. And then Jacob says to him, "I, uh, you know how I've served you, so on and so forth. I want to do something for my own household. And then a couple of days goes by. And then Laban comes back to him and says, listen, name your wages and I'll give it. Right, And by then... Jacob's had this dream, or, or Laban leaves it open, says, name your wages, and I'll give it. And a couple days goes by, and in the meantime Jacob has this dream. To me, the most convincing thing that's happening here is that God has instructed Jacob concerning the um, his intention to make the flock predominantly speckled and spotted and modeled and so on and so forth. And for whatever reason, this is the means that God has chosen to use in order to make that happen. Just as you see in the New Testament. Sometimes Jesus heals people by touching them. Sometimes Jesus heals people by speaking um, a word. Sometimes Jesus heals people by spitting in the mud and rubbing His finger around in the mud and putting it on someone's eyes. God uses different means at different times, some of which make no sense to us and are surprising to us. I think that the most likely situation is that this is actually God's plan to prosper Jacob. And so Jacob is willing to go out on a limb, humanly speaking, with Laban, saying that he'll take the speckled and spotted from among the flock, because he knows that he has divine warrant for asking such. And Laban quickly acquiesces to the deal, because apparently only about 25% of the flock, statistically, are going to be speckled and spotted. And so Laban's happy to give Jacob a quarter of the flock. So I think that's what's going on here. So, Basically then, if that's the case, then this whole plan seems to be God's. So again, what you see is God's commendation of Jacob's labor. God's commendation of Jacob's toiling in the heat of the day. and uh, Being on call 24-7 and so on and so forth. God is helping Jacob out here in this situation. God approves of Jacob's toil over these 20 years. It is possible to overwork. So don't hear me wrong. It is possible to have an undue focus on working and and earning work idolatry or an idolatry of money or whatever. That is possible, but that doesn't seem to be what's going on here in this section of Scripture. It seems rather that Jacob's work over these 20 years is actually just an instance of good work ethic. And so God commends him here in this section. And the rest of Scripture... Implicitly commends Jacob too, though uh, other passages are not speaking directly to Jacob's work ethic. Consider Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23, in which we read that whatever we do, we are to work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Or Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Or Proverbs is chock full of good stuff about work. Consider just a few examples. Proverbs 21 and 25. The desire of the sluggard kills him for his hands refuse to labor. There was a young man who I used to attend a church that I pastored and you can ask me about the full story later but to make a long story short he got angry at me one time and smashed my computer (laughs) and um, so the church bought me a new one but we thought that it would be helpful for him to try to make reparations um, just part of his own journey of growth and repentance and so we he was he didn't have a lot of money uh, so we tried to provide some work for him to do around the church where he could kind of work off the debt but he said he didn't like to get sweaty (laughs) so he refused to do it so listen there are people whose hands refuse to labor right the scripture speaks well of a good work ethic The scripture speaks well of not refusing to labor, but engaging in labor. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. So this is the guy that's always talking about different schemes and and plans that he has to get rich while his land remains... Untilled and unsowed, and therefore unharvested. It's like, listen, it's nothing wrong if you have a good idea to be entrepreneurial and try to make it happen. But at the end of the day, whatever whatever your plan is, you're going to have to work at it. There's there's really no such thing as get rich quick kind of schemes. So instead of just following worthless pursuits, go work your land. Right? This is the what the way the scripture talks about it. Or another one of my favorites, which I actually have hanging in my office at home to remind me to work hard. Proverbs 18 and verse 9 says, whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. In other words, you're not, you're not far off actually destroying something simply by not working as hard at it as you should be. So the scripture actually speaks very well of a good work ethic and Jacob certainly seems to have a good work ethic here in this section. So, Jacob wanting to do something for his household, Jacob working hard to try to make something happen for his household in this passage, there is nothing wrong with that. In fact, quite the opposite. A good work ethic like that is commended in Scripture. The desire to take care of your family, to provide for your household, is everywhere commended in Scripture. Notwithstanding, of course, the danger of uh, idolizing work or overworking. Generally speaking, a good work ethic, working hard, is commended. What of the divine factor? Let's consider God's care for Jacob. Genesis chapter 28. Jacob has left his home... He's on his way to Laban 20 years earlier. And God appears to him in a dream. And he says to Jacob, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God had promised to care for Jacob 20 years earlier. And, in fact, He promised to care for him consistently, without any gaps, or without any lapses of time. I will not leave you, He says, Until I have done what I have promised you. So God had promised to be consistently, continually, continuously caring for Jacob. And though the years had gone by, those 20 years had gone by without material gain. Such that 20 years later, Jacob is saying, when am I going to do something for my household? Though that 20 years had gone by without material gain, God had not forgotten his promise. We know that God is not a man that He should lie, nor a son of man that He should change His mind. We know that He's good on His word. We see even in Genesis 31 and verse 3, the Lord speaking to Jacob saying, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. These are bookends around the incident that we're looking at tonight, Genesis 28 and Genesis 31. God is most certainly with Jacob, and in fact has been with Jacob throughout these 20 years. It's within the paradigm of God's care for Jacob that God provides materially for him in this passage and in abundance. We know whatever is the case of whoever was the originator of the plan, even if it was Jacob's advanced understanding of genetics, or Jacob's naive optimism about speckled and spotted. Even if God didn't have his hand in the origination of the plan here in Genesis 30. We know that it was God who blessed Jacob by causing the flock to bear speckled and spotted and mottled young. Because we read that in Genesis 31. Within It's within the paradigm of God's care for Jacob that he blesses him with material gain in this section. So, Jacob experienced poverty and under God's care, eventually experienced prosperity in turn. Jacob was poor and then became rich. Alright, now at this juncture, you might think that I'm going to tell you to be patient and keep working hard and that God will eventually prosper you too. But if so, you're wrong. I wouldn't dare tell you such a thing. The takeaway, the takeaway is this. The takeaway is this. That you ought to stay the course of hard work and diligence It's not wrong to desire to provide something for your own household, to do a little something for your own household. You should stay the course and provide, and trust God to provide whatever He thinks is best for you. As God cared for Jacob, so He cares for us. We saw when we looked at Genesis 28, that uh, the ladder which stretches from heaven to earth is actually fulfilled ultimately in Christ. It's a picture of He who bridges heaven and earth. The connection place between God and man. In John chapter 1 and verse 51, Jesus applies that passage to Himself. It says, you're going to see angels ascending and descending, not on Jacob's ladder, but on the Son of Man, which is Himself. And so, Jacob's vision of God coming down... From heaven to earth to him to be with him for his good, to care for him by means of this ladder is a picture of what we experience in Christ Jesus that God has come from heaven to earth to be with us for our good. The same way that God cared for Jacob, so he cares for us. What that looks like, however, may vary. Even as it did with Jacob. Just as God provided abundant material possessions within the paradigm of His care for Jacob. Here in this passage in Genesis chapter 30. God had withheld material possessions from Jacob for 20 years. Also within the paradigm of His care for Jacob. The point that we should take away from this passage is not that God cared for Jacob and so he made him rich. And since God cares for us, he will also make us rich. That's not the point that we should take away from this passage. Rather, the point that we should take away from this passage is actually that God cared for Jacob. Well, sleep fled from his eyes. God cared for Jacob well. his wages were changed ten times. God cared for Jacob well. losses to Laban's flock were unfairly charged to him. God cared for Jacob all of those days when he was out with the flock bearing the heat of the day. The takeaway from this passage is actually that God cared for Jacob all the while... God cared for Jacob in Genesis 28, 29, 30, and 31. God cared for Jacob while Jacob was subsisting. And God cared for Jacob in this passage when he chooses to prosper him. We need to settle it in our minds that God cares for us. And we need to, unlike what the prosperity gospel preachers will tell us, unlike what even just, aside from the prosperity gospel, even just what a worldly mindset will tell us, that care equals material provision. We need to understand that God's care doesn't always manifest itself in our lives that way. The same way that is say, if I, if my sons grow up to be really irresponsible young men, they're, say, 19, 20, 21, 22, and just, just reckless, irresponsible, can't hold down a job, so on and so forth. Even if I had the money, let's say, to purchase a house for them, or give them money to put a down payment on a house or something like that, or to buy them a car, I probably wouldn't do it. If they were reckless and irresponsible and so on and so forth, I'd say, listen, go get a job. Learn how to hold down a job. All right? And they might say, well, you have the money. Why don't you give me money? You don't care for me. And I would, I would be quick to point out that my care for you isn't necessarily going to be... My care for you isn't necessarily going to be shown to you in material provision. Sometimes we can care for other people without providing materially for them. That's just an example. But in a worldly way of thinking, this life is all about getting stuff. And the more that you care for someone else, the more you're going to give them stuff. And the people who care for you most are the people who give you the most stuff. But that's not at all the truth. So we need to settle it in our minds, Christians, that God does care for us. But unhitch ourselves from the idea that God's care for us needs to be manifest in His provision of abundant material possessions. God cared for Jacob all the while. God did care for Jacob when He blessed him with a big flock. But God also cared for Jacob when He had little to no flock of His own. God cared for Jacob when He was just grinding it out day after day, just hustling hard to try to pay the bills to make ends meet. Likewise, God may care for you by blessing you with material possessions, by blessing you with a good job where you have a good amount of disposable income and so on and so forth. Or God may care for you in a different way. God may care for you while you're just struggling so hard, working one job, two jobs, three jobs, day after day, just grinding it out. While you're building calluses on your hands. While your back is sore. While sleep flees from your eyes. God may be caring for you in that way. But settle it in your minds. Christians, God cares for you. God is benevolent towards you. And God is able to do for you whatsoever He wills. If He withholds material provision from you. It's not because He doesn't care or isn't able. J.D. Greer, who's now the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, has a quote that I found helpful to think about over the years. I read it a number of years ago. He said, we should measure God's compassion by the cross and His power by the resurrection. We should measure God's compassion by the cross And we should measure God's power by the resurrection. If you think that God doesn't care about you. That He has no compassion on you. Just look at the cross. When will God do something for me? When will God give something to me? Just look at the cross. Look at the cross where the Son of God hangs bleeding and dying. For your sin. Look at the cross. Where he drinks. That horrid cup. That he prayed in the garden. Might pass from him. Look at the cross. Where he bore your sins. As the hymn says. To dark Calvary. Look at the cross. Where the Lamb of God. Took away the sin. Of the world. And measure God's compassion. For you. By that. God is compassionate towards you, Christian. Do you think God is not powerful enough to intervene in your situation? There's no way God can get me out of this bind. There's no way God can provide what I need this week or this month or whatever. After the Lamb of God took away the sin of the world on the cross after he cried out, it is finished after they wrapped his body in a linen cloth and laid laid it in the tomb God called him forth from that tomb on the third day, Sunday morning they went to find him and he was not there, for as the angels said, he had risen Jesus Christ, after living a life of perfect righteousness for us, laying down His life on our behalf, going into the tomb, the place of the dead, rose from the grave. God raised Him up, Peter says in Acts 2, and of this we are all witnesses. God is powerful enough. Brothers and sisters, to intervene in your situation, should He choose to. So if we're struggling financially, if we're struggling in terms of material possessions, it's not because God is unable to help us. He who raised Christ from the dead can help us out in this matter as well. If we're struggling financially, if we're limping along, if we're we're just working hard day after day thinking to ourselves, when am I going to be able to do something for my household? It's not because God has no compassion on us. It's not because He doesn't care for us. God showed His compassion at the cross. We measure His compassion by the cross and His power from the resurrection by the resurrection. And we confess then that God cares for us in the situation that we're in. We trust in them. We're able to sing like what we sang before the sermon tonight. What e'er my God ordains is right. What air my God ordains is right. Though dark my road. Whatever my God ordains is right. We trust that He cares for us, just as He cared for Jacob. Whether that looks like Jacob's years of toil and sleeplessness, or whether that looks like Jacob's years of prosperity, we trust that God does indeed care for us. That He has come down Jacob's ladder, so to speak, in Christ, to be with us for our good. And we just stay the course of biblical obedience. We adopt a good work ethic. And we keep at it. And we trust that whatever my God ordains is right. If this should end the way I want it to end, great. But even if this doesn't end the way I want it to end, I trust my God to lead me through and to provide for me whatever He has deemed needful and good for me in His benevolence.